So we're home. We're, we're actually home. We are. Last week, we, I, I counted. Um, I did maths. We spent 45 hours in the air. My singular question is, why do you do it? Two looks. The look when the client or the partners we're working with have that look of, we'll never pull this off. And then the look when we pull it off. It's worth flying for. All right, while we're talking about planes, though. So I was watching Dylan, my nine-year-old, at a football game a couple of days ago, soccer, and she had that she had that look that she didn't she when she played a played a good play when she you know passed the ball well she'd have this like cool look but would like glance over at me to make sure i was watching her play well and the look on her face was reminding me of something i couldn't think what it was and it struck me this morning it reminded me of you last week because i haven't seen much of you since we got back i haven't seen you at all since we got back Mm-mm. and so we were boarding a 747 jumbo jet as it was known Oh, yeah. And it's probably Korean Airways are like probably the last airline. Maybe Lufthansa is still flying 747s. And it's a beautiful plane. You have sketches of this, diagrams of this plane on a wall in the studio, uh, a canvas here. And we'd book tickets in the bubble so that we could ride in the bubble. Probably the last time we'd be on a 747. We boarded the plane and we came on the main level. And you get to this little staircase. And this little private staircase to go up, up to the bubble of the 747 where the pilot is and just a few seats. And you had this look on the face just like Dylan's, which is, I'm cool with this. But there's just a little <laughs> twinkle. And I just want to tell you, I was loving it. But never in my life have I so wished for you to just trip on a set of stairs. <laughs> it could only have been rounded off if you fell down that staircase going up to the bubble of the 747. I'm, I'm Ace Callwood. And I'm uh, Scott Wayne. Uh, you're an asshole. <laughs> and this is Envoy Recorded Radio. Okay, we are back in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I'm not going on a plane for two weeks, which is great. You are. Um, but we are we're, we're recording from Canvas. We're recording from Canvas Studios. But we're going to be leaving Canvas soon. Tell yeah, us about that. This is the. Are we and, going out of business? Is business hard. Can we not afford the rent? <laughs> business is hard in that the work we do is hard, but business is going pretty well. Um, despite that, this is the end of an era in what ten, almost twelve thousand square feet of urban Camp David, as we call it here in Richmond, and uh, it's time. Um, you'll have to confirm how long have we been here officially? What six years? Uh, pretty much since the start of the firm. Kelly Beekman found these disheveled old houses on the wrong side of the river uh, when we were looking for real estate. Uh, And nobody would rent us anything because we didn't have a credit history. (laughs) So we ended up here. So yeah, how old is the firm? Six or seven years. Yeah, Yeah. and I mean, like kind of taking over piecemeal. It was one story downstairs to a second story downstairs to an upstairs to the other upstairs to a third building and the trash lot turned into a stage slash seating area. And uh, I summers on the deck pulling scraps of stuff off <laughs> that would be hazards to anybody trying to be comfortable there uh, alongside your three girls. So there was a yeah. lot of Uncle Ace, can I throw this off the roof? And there was a lot of absolutely throw it off the roof, I'll help you. Diverting the eyes of clients because before we had all the buildings, <laughs> Diverting the eyes of clients so they didn't see the drug deal that was happening in the adjacent building. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'll miss those days. I, I will. Sketchy I mean, in I the best of ways. I do not miss those days. Yeah. 
I, I kind of miss those days, but you know, I like to live on the edge. Anyway, so yeah, um, as our business has changed and continues to change, uh, maybe not having 18 doors to secure is ideal. Uh, maybe being in a place that's a little more secure, a little more discreet, doesn't broadcast our presence. Um, and I think that's maybe a function of you just pissing people off, Scott. Uh, we need better security. Yes, so we do need better security, and we're therefore we're moving to an undisclosed location. We are remaining in the city limits, so if the mayor's listening, don't worry, we're still paying our taxes. Um, <laughs> we're still funding that elementary school from our taxes. And uh, yeah, but we'll stay in the city, but Canvas will be wrapping up over the next couple of months. I think the other thing to, to say is that Canvas was our life raft during COVID. We would have gone out of business unless we had all of this open space for us to be able to get together and do digital. So I will always have a place of, of gratitude for it. But it's a good example of, of uh, getting business bets wrong as well. I was very wrong on this. My prediction post-COVID was that we would have much more. We would either have people working in the office full-time or remote. It would go one way or the other. And therefore, there would be huge demand for retreat spaces for people to gather as teams, uh, either to get out of the office if you were full-time in the office or the, if you were remote to get together. And of course, where we've landed is this hybrid environment. And so actually it's hard for us to encourage clients to do an offsite mm -hmm. because what they really need is their people in the office on those days. Yep. And so the market, um, and not that we ever made money from, from the rentals, it's just that we do our thing now on client site. And so that, that demand for people to get, quote, out of the office is not there because the demand is to get in the office. So Which requires us being out of the office and kind of renders the space we have. A little moot. quiet. Yeah. Um, so uh, what are we taking to the new space? Like, we'll still have studios. We don't need four studios. Yeah. We can probably um, do well, with <laughs> one or two. We Let's just be clear. We, we're leasing a fleet of buildings around the city. True. So yes, we'll have plenty of studios. Yep. Um, but in the core space, yeah, we'll have a we'll 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 have a radio studio, obviously, and we'll have a broadcast studio, um, and then um, an awful lot of digital equipment that is helping us do in open source intelligence research and communications and all of the things that we do. And then uh, the soft seating lounge space, hang space that I think clients who like to hole up here and hide from their team sometimes yeah. enjoy if will still client, exist. You yeah. will be sent we be sent those locations. Just uh, coordinates. In not, order not to uh, to to drive uh, the locals crazy because I I am back in Richmond. I'm really enjoying roaming around coffee shops and bumping into people. Um, but um, we're not going to tell you where we are, but we will disclose the name of the project. The project is the project name is Project Fiddler. Good luck with that. Fiddler for uh, Americans who don't know what a fiddler is. Fiddler. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's up another round. All right. <laughs> Should we come on to Perry, involuntary sponsor of the week? Do the sting. Okay, uh, yeah, who's who's being voluntold? Well, I never this? thought I would say this, but the oh, involuntary God. sponsor of this week is the Virginia State Fair. Uh, the <laughs> no, the only place, no, it's not. the only place in the state where I am consistently an eleven. Did the, you see pig racing this time? I no. So that was a county fair last year. I don't know what fair. the difference is. Piglet, piglet racing. Piglet okay. racing. Yeah. I didn't. Um, oh, but don't take the, uh, the high ground on pig versus piglet <laughs> racing at the county, not Virginia State Fair. I'm not doing this with you today. That's a ridiculous correction It is correction very much my De Tocqueville moment where I, I step back and just observe. And um, Scott so Wayne, the everyman, every state, Every state has its state fair. Uh, for, the, for the Brits who are listening, we have a lot of people listening in the UK. This is sort of like a, a garden fate 
for the state. So instead of for your school or your neighborhood where we do the egg and spoon race and the, 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 the sack race, sack race stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. three-legged race, it is st- statewide. Um, but the reason it's an involuntary sponsor a week, I, I, I ranting at Clouds section a couple of weeks ago, uh-huh. I talked about solving for men and women's bathrooms, for queuing in the bathrooms. Yeah. Well, porta potties are gender neutral. Well, so they have bathrooms there. Do they really? But uh, for every male bathroom, there were three women's bathrooms. Really? Of all the places, the Virginia State Fair <laughs> has rebalanced, has equitable bathrooms. Where, where is the Virginia State Fair? Uh, I don't know. It's in a field somewhere. I, I mean, is it like around Richmond? Oh, it's massive. No, no, no. It's, it's like 30 miles away. It's huge. It was oh. like, you could commit a lot of crime right now because pretty much... Half of all Virginia State First, troopers yes. are on site at the Virginia State Fair <laughs> directing traffic. Um, the biggest tractors you've ever seen. But so, but then here's the other bit that I love. Oh, there's more. Okay. So given that we are currently have a political administration uh, here, I've got to be careful because I was meeting with them this morning, but who are, let's just, uh, uh, pro-guns, right? Pro-gun rights, sure. as it goes. So I think if this thing embodies, if we really believe, you know, state fairs are supposed to embody Rural America, um, yeah, no guns. No guns at the state fair. Come on. Everybody should be armed. We should be armed to the hilt at the state fair, but I think this is the tell. I think we understand that actually a bunch of drunk people watching piglet racing is not the place for everybody to have firearms. But apparently bars are. I don't know. Struggle with that. Oh, there's I think there's, the offic- there's always the official line, and then there's like the practical piece of, yeah, actually... And when I say no guns, no pocket knives, full scanners at this. So it's a big open fields, right? It's called the Meadowlands. Big open fields, but full body scanners to make sure no weapons going in in a state that is, well. We That's why it. I didn't go. Was, they were going to infringe my rights. So fun. I wanted fun. to take my gun, and I am boycotting the Virginia State Fair All right, so and as, the county fair. As we are celebrating administrations, the next is, I never thought we'd say this, that we got two involuntary sponsors this week. We're giving some kudos to Florida. Yeah. Wow. If you were to say which state in the United States would be embracing building brand new high-speed train lines, I'm not sure the administration of Governor Ron DeSantis would leap to mind, right? No. But this is it. Brightline. Brightline Trains, it's a private company, has built a, a railway line, railroad, as we'd say here, from Miami up through Fort Lauderdale all the way to Orlando. You can get from Orlando to Miami in three hours on a brand new high-speed train. It's doing great. It's doing wild. So again, back to um, you know the difference between what we say for the headlines. And we say this a lot because we're inside government administrations a lot. Government administrations are much more practical than politics, dare I say it, social media requires them to be. Uh, yeah, high-speed rail, Orlando to Miami. Let's go ride it. Yeah, so it, in in defense of everywhere that's not Florida, because I'm not going to just give Florida a win like that. And this is having, I used to live in Key West, I lived in Jacksonville, family in Orlando, some affinity for Florida and the Florida man that ends up in every headline. Um, Bright Rail's getting a ton of money from Department of Transportation, so they're doing, they're finishing the new line in California. Um, oh, they bought the idea yeah. of the Vegas LA thing. Is and that they're them? looking, uh, okay. they're looking for federal funding for uh, Vegas to LA, but yeah. some Nevada construction as well. So, I mean, it, I, <laughs> I love and hate that Florida's leading the charge on this, but I really like the idea of federal investment in infrastructure, um, in the places that need it. And Florida is a hard state to drive. Um, but yeah, heading out west, we're seeing similar projects and. Uh, that's a win. So, involuntary sponsor, maybe Florida, maybe Department of Transportation. Um, you choose depending on how you feel about either of those entities.
What's next? <laughs> the zeitgeist. There's a sting for that. Uh, you wanted to talk about saving planets. Yeah, but before we get there, let's let's do oh fabricated comedy. Yeah, Hassan Minaj. This is uh, new this morning, right? This is or yeah. This is night. when I was I was kind of fiddling around the story. Project so, Fiddler. Um, Hassan Minaj, uh, probably best known for the Patriot Act with Hassan Minaj. So he is a. Um, ooh, I should probably know his. He's American um, and of Indian descent, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yep, Indian descent. Uh, he's a TV host, and so he's in the running to take over The Daily Show um, now that Trevor Noah has stepped out of that realm. And uh, it just came out through a profile he did um, that some of his stories have been fabricated in large part. Um, and his defense is that you know, he's got a nugget or a kernel of truth that he's wrapped some narrative around. And, ooh, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of messy. So he did uh, a profile with The New Yorker and admitted to fabricating details of past stand-up uh, specials. And so his, his line, and I pulled this quote, every story in my style is built around a seed of truth. Uh, my comedy, Arnold Palmer, is 70% emotional truth. This happened, and then 30% hyperbole, exaggeration, or fiction. And the defense is that comedy is not made up. You know, you go back to the Mitch Hedbergs uh, or Stephen Wrights of the world who, you know, we, we know that uh, they tell complete truth, and then there's the Rodney Dangerfields um, who make stuff up, and it's funny on either side. But I think in an era where we are leaning on comedians often to push the envelope of what is acceptable and importantly shine a massive spotlight on some inequity in society uh, for the brown guy who made up the story about uh, his prom date not wanting to or her parents not wanting to be in a picture with a brown guy and he was left on the steps of prom pictures uh, you know that that spotlights a racism that can be rampant in this country and across the world uh, to find out that that specific instance was fabricated does all of the people who might be marginalized in a society a disservice. It's it's another one of those fake truths or hoaxes that now what can we believe? And so, um, yeah, that, that was a hard one to read through, not because I followed him, uh, but really because of, I think, what that says on a national or international scale and stage. It, it, it kind of screws the rest of us, and that's not great. It's interesting, the obligations that, that comedians have. And I think the I've seen Jon Stewart make this argument that he, it's not his responsibility to tell the news because he's a comedian. And mm. I disagree with that, actually. Mm. Satire has always played a deep role in defending democracy charles dickens his his humorous writings were attacks on the sort of social fabric and infrastructure and the governments at the time william shakespeare stuff and i still debate whether shaky really existed but they, <laughs> but there i think there is an obligation there is an obligation with viewership and it might not be to tell the truth but it might be to clarify whether you are telling the truth or not whether you're just making up stories or whether these are, are based and i think your description of the sort of racist incident he also has Islamophobic incidents that he's now admitting didn't happen. Yep. Um, is yeah, it's a little more loaded, isn't it? And his his family 
history or demographic adds even more weight to it. So yes, he's Indian. He is Muslim Indian. Mm-hmm. So he's a minor. He he's a religious minority in the country of his family's birth, his parents' birth. He was born in the states. Um, he's then a minority in the United States based upon race and ethnicity. And then to sort of lean into that, especially at these heightened times, both here and in India about those things. Yeah. Um, it's often misunderstood this. The largest, the largest Muslim country in the world is India, mm-hmm. uh, which is a Hindu country. Just the sheer yeah. scale of the population. It's massive. Of, um, you can have a minority that is the... The majority the in the biggest, world. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So there are more, there are more Muslims in, in, um, in India than there, are, than there are in Pakistan, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly in, in Saudi Arabia or Iran. And so you have, yeah, there's... there's a, <laughs> I, I, I think particularly with Minaj, who, it, again, in the running for The Daily Show has been like he's on, uh, I think he was one of the big list, Time or Forbes, etc., uh, 100 most influential people in the world. Like he's he's kind of hit that yeah. pinnacle. To to be a, con- a comedian who whose work is rooted in truth and that allows you to push the envelope and to to be a voice for marginalized communities. If you find out that it's a comedian without the rooted in truth piece, like who is he? So then The Daily Show. Yeah. The Daily Show's premise that was started by John Stewart and then I think Trevor Noah took this up several notches is to call bullshit yeah. where you see it. But if your presenter is a known bullshitter, which John Stewart and definitely Trevor Noah were not known as. Yeah, and I mean, like, think about Stephen Colbert as well, yeah. right? Yeah, the, yeah. The, and what they were able to do with their shows, I'm not sure. I'm, I, I'll put a hard line on this. I don't think The Daily Show can keep its reputation if it puts Minaj in the seat at this point. And I think I think the producers of The Daily Show are probably listening to this podcast to see what we think about it. Well, yeah. So there's our vote. So actually, talking about so I'm seeing Trevor Noah on Friday. I am too. Which show are you? Going I was to? trying to imply that he was coming over for dinner, but yeah, he's just performing. <laughs> if you said I am too, no, I, he's you should stopping. have said I am coming to dinner as well. I no, mean, he's stopping have, for cocktails have at your place. Those two lies. He doesn't have time to do a full dinner because he's having we dinner have dinner at mine. before, yeah, but we no. we sort Mm-mm. of imply that Trevor's joining I'll see us him for backstage. Dinner. Whatever. You, you probably are. Uh, yeah, Trevor Noah's coming. Are you going to the Late Show? Do you know, I, there are some people I resent. And I resent Trevor Noah because he is simultaneously brilliant, funny, and attractive. Like, nobody should be allowed to be those. It's his hair, isn't it? You are two of those. You just have to guess. Hey, while we're talking about satire, huh. I notice you have multiple colors of that same cap. I do. So your cap says, articulate. <laughs> It depends on who's. Well, we're talking at about it. satire, yeah. right? So you're wearing satire on your head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I had Vera custom make me. She like found an embroiderer in town, and I found a hat that actually fits. Um, and I had her design just a word mark that says articulate. Um, and it's 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 actually a fascinating experience because I think for the uninitiated, they read it as articulate. I had some woman in Union Station as we were sitting having lunch. Your um, train is on platform <laughs> seven. She spoke very loudly and clearly to me to compliment my hat. It was she was through. It was just like lovely kind of quirky white woman. And and this is important as I get to the why of the hat. Um, she she was like, I love Sorry. your hat so much. And I turned and I said, Vera had it custom made for me. Um, and she's like, you know, more people need to do that. Articulate. Articulate. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like to speak clearly. How are we going to get Vera right? to get me a cap that says enunciate? <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do that. Um, unless it's a newsboy cap and then that's funny. Um, I don't know why this is so funny. It's hilarious. But, but I, the hat for um, men of a certain demographic, ones who share mine, so uh, educated black men in this country are often told, and I would imagine that extends to educated black folks or brown folks that, oh my God, you're so articulate. And uh, I used to be really offended by that uh, because the, the kind of underlying implication of the dog whistle there is I didn't expect that you might be yeah. able to use big, scary dollar words. And, you know, um, I'm less offended because the reality is I'm more articulate than 90% of folks. And like I, I've copped to that. Uh, but for... For anybody I've seen in airports, in walking through Carytown, etc., you get a particular nod from black folks who see the hat, and you know what the nod is. And then you see people of other races or backgrounds who would not have had the "you're so articulate" experience read it as articulate, as a command, and it's it's fascinating to see who responds. So that, and who reacts. That, that moment in history where Perry's just laughing where, right now. Where it. then then Joe Biden, Senator Biden, referred to Barack Obama as articulate mm -hmm. is anchored in the minds of black black men in particular yeah but forgotten about by most others and so you you read that word differently yeah it's and so i've got a couple hats and i've got a template that i've offered to buddies of mine at uh, at cost to have similar hats oh. made um so i've got a couple who are sourcing hats to have custom embroidery articulate put on it and uh yeah we may end up with Articulate Clothing Essentials as a brand because that spells out ace and that makes me very happy. Nice. I see Perry nodding. Yeah. This might be a thing. There so if go. you'd like to order your cap, uh, email um, radio at onboardportfolio.com. There we go. <laughs> Sorry, I've just got this vision of people articulating <laughs> words to you. Oh, because not only can I use those words, but I can't hear or understand them unless they're said very clearly. So, yeah, I, you know, it's just me existing in the world. Thank you, you know what I'm going to do now is the next time we board a plane and there's a flight attendant clocks the cap and you get the <laughs> nod. You know the nod? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be like, Ace, your seat is 15D. And just see how it all goes. Jesus. All right. Okay. Um, saving the planet versus saving humans. Yeah. So different interpretations. So there's been a bit of a spat this week, um, a remote spat, a statement spat between um, – uh, Mark Benioff of mm -hmm. Salesforce and Bill Gates, formerly of Microsoft, Never now heard of Gates him. Foundation, yeah, right. um, about how to save the planet. And Benioff is a big tree planting guy. He's um, he partnered with the Trump administration to to the goal was to plant a, a trillion trees, and he's very clear. He doesn't think the tree planting solves climate change, but he thinks it's very important to take a nature based approach. And so, protecting the forests and the oceans is something that he's very passionate about. And Bill Gates has kind of said that's bullshit. Um, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in and cut you off. Mother Nature doesn't give a shit about us. Yeah, she, we're not saving Mother Nature. This is absolutely it. not. Yeah, no, we're saving humanity, who continues to screw Mother Nature, and as a result of that, we are going to be screwed. Yeah. So as you're talking about comics, uh, this was first delivered in like the '80s by oh god, who was the guy with the ponytail? 
who had the foul mouth, who was, uh, come to me. Anyway, he was always like, don't give me this save the planet bullshit. The planet's going to be fine. It's humans we're worried about. And that's sort of what Bill Gates is saying, is that the, the planet is incredibly resilient. And if temperatures rise by a few George degrees, Carlin. George, thank yeah, you, Carlin, Carlin, yeah. Actually, watch the documentary on him. Really interesting. I went from one type, one type of comedian to mm. another type of comedian. is amazing. But... Um, Anyway, so Carlin made this statement, and Bill Gates is essentially reiterating, which is this is this is a he doesn't use these words, but he's saying this is a human warming problem. Mm -hmm. The planet is going to be absolutely fine. There's a nuclear reactor in the sky called the Sun. The planet is working on a timeline of millions, if not billions, of years. And the you know if you look at these environments like Chernobyl, uh, nature recovers incredibly quickly. And and in COVID, yeah, how and, the canals through Venice yes. cleaned up because we weren't out polluting them. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, Darwinian theory tells us that, that the planet will adapt and we'll have different types of plant life, but we've lived through different temperature zones. The people who are screwed is, is Homo sapiens. Mm -hmm. And so it just got me thinking about, look, I, I appreciate both of them caring about this, both of them engaging on it. So Gates is taking a more sort of technological approach. He thinks we need human solutions to the human problem. Benioff is incorporating. He's not dismissing those. He's saying, sure. but we should we should incorporate nature as well. I think I probably in Benioff's camp, but what I find interesting is we're using the wrong words. We're talking about climate change and save the planet. Maybe we should be talking about human environment warming or human environment heating. Or And I think now that we're seeing mm -hmm. in um, well, countries around the world, um, here in the United States, you know, Arizona this summer was just unlivable. Yeah. Um, and emergency conditions and the insurance markets are wrong. But I, I wonder if we're just using the wrong phrases. The planet's going to be fine. I'm going to be super shallow on this because I love fall fashion, like boots and jeans and coats is my jam. And if Han the Solo war, season? Yeah. Oh, I do love Han Solo season. Uh, if you don't know what that is, <laughs> or he's like falling off his desk right yep. now. Yep. Um, tis, tis the season to all who celebrate. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, a question on that as, as we think about nudging human behavior, like the influence piece of our work and, and behavioral economics. Um, we continue to trash the planet and aren't really concerned about the repercussions. Even shifting language from save the planet to save humanity, are humans going to change their behavior given the very relatively short lifespan of humans? Do I care enough to solve the problem now if I won't be around in, uh, do some math, I don't know, somewhere between 10 and uh, 60 years? Like, do I care? And will humans at large care? I would, I would say that the research shows that unless you potentially lie about the timelines and say that it's a much shorter impact that will affect your children who are alive, mm -hmm. but you can't even extend to your imaginary grandchildren, mm -hmm then the the macro evidence about any issue suggests that we don't care. So this this is always the challenge around um uh do you do you believe all you know all humans are are, are born equal, right? And have equal rights. Mm -hmm. And if you do, one of the tests on that is if your philanthropy is around saving lives, for instance, one should never donate to a local charity. So put this. You should donate to malaria. Should donate to malaria. Yeah. So you will save more lives by donating to malaria. But mm -hmm. if you believe all it, all lives are equal, and you want to save lives, if you want to maximize yeah, impact on life saving, from yeah. a from a 
if if you if you have that premise, then you can save for the same donation that might go to a homeless shelter where you where you can save three lives. You can save three hundred by donating mm-hmm. to malaria, and um, like it's it's it, it's an interesting tell. And so translate that back is: Am I going to do this for a future generation that I that I don't know of? Um, I think the evidence suggests that most humans won't. In the mm-hmm. macro level, there are lots of people who care. Mm-hmm. So how do we make people care? That's mm-hmm. the trick. Well, will it affect? You know, I talked about Dylan, my nine-year-old. Will it affect Dylan in her lifetime, or will it affect um, D- Dylan's ability to raise children? We might be able to extend it out, but not great-grandchildren. Yeah, right. Not beyond that. Yeah. Um, the one other thing that might save us is in the insurance markets. Yeah, that's yeah. true. There is a there is an argument that the uh, the future of global health is not determined to the United Nations in New York. It's not determined by the World Health Organization in Geneva and and, uh, and Rome, or the World Food Program in Rome. It is not determined by um, Washington or Beijing. It's determined in Bermuda in the reinsurance markets. Um, and what we're seeing now is climate change being priced, priced into markets and pri- being priced into behaviors. And so all of those incremental gains that can be done on climate change, things like, yes, wind isn't the solution, but adding an element of wind power, adding sails to ships, mm-hmm. right? The, the madness of we can get 3% fuel efficiency, say, by adding a spinnaker mm-hmm. to a classic tanker, mm-hmm. all start to come into play because you can fund it through insurance premiums. Yeah. And there is an argument that we have tipped that point because we're seeing that happen. And there may be hope. Yeah. I think this is where Gates lands. I, that's, uh, that, yeah. that's fair. Hey, um, I want to talk about pronouns yeah. for a second as we go into Tools for Tools. Oh, that big... was the sting, just me really. <laughs> Tools for tools. Um, Let's so, just uh, spin a coin. Is the right going to batter us for this conversation or the left going to batter us for this conversation? Neither, interestingly. Right, um, so, uh, on the heels of the how do we start to shift human behavior, I want to talk about the ambiguous they. And I'm going to be talking later with a nonprofit about innovation and entrepreneurship. I had the same conversation last week. I ran a workshop on what it means to build an innovation culture. And this is one of the best tools I hand off because it's a little fun and uh, it makes us think a little differently. So uh, I talk about pronouns and the ambiguous they, not from the demographic or you know DEI lens, from the whose job is it to change the world a little bit. And we often see minor inconveniences all the way up to major inconveniences like world hunger and we say they ought to fix that. And the they piece is where I get hung up. And so if you're an executive, if you were thinking about your team, here is one of the many exercises I hand to folks. And I think it is relevant, particularly as we talk about climate change. Next time you hear yourself say they ought to fix that. Yeah. So the pothole on the way out of your neighborhood, um, the... uh, in the grocery store, there are nine self-checkout lanes. Only three of them are open. They ought to fix that. The next time you see or hear that phrase in your head, I want you to spend 90 seconds to 120 seconds thinking about how you would solve that problem. I don't need you to do it. I don't need mm-hmm. you to have all of the technical expertise. I don't need you to know all of the exact answers or who to call. But just think, how would I solve 
that problem next time you say they ought to fix that. On the pothole front, for instance, you could stick a cone in the pothole so you don't jack your tire on it when you're coming out of the neighborhood. You could uh, fill it with quickcrete. You could call Arnold Schwarzenegger, who couldn't get his town to fix all the potholes, so he went around with the construction crew and threw money at the problem. <laughs> um, you could, like a man in the UK, draw or spray paint phallic uh, images around the I potholes so the municipality had to come out and solve for the vulgarity and while they were there they fixed the pothole problem i just want people to spend all of two minutes getting the muscle mechanics of huh i could come up with three or four solutions to solve that problem some of them are probably pretty easy and instead of expecting that someone else is in it's incumbent on someone else to solve this how might i consider shifting the world around me for the better and for everybody else's benefit as well just that two minutes of thought experiment and exercise, it's mental exercise, starts to shift how we orient to real problems, real things in our locus of control that we can fix, but often like to pawn off and say they ought to take care of it. There's our tool for the week. You're going to force me to give some appreciation to um, a client that um, we provide support to, and she was complaining one day about... Um, uh, she leads a sort of internal consulting team, and so mm -hmm. sort of their job is to find problems, identify them, and then. But um, and it was about the trails in the city that they're not very. Yeah. The, the wayfinding is very. Good. They're not well signed. And I said, "Oh, stop whining. Just go. Just go fix it. You're rich. You're influential. Just go deal with that problem. <laughs> I don't want to hear about it." I was sort of in your realm. And then a few months later, I was running on the trails on all of these brand new signs, and she had not said a word to she me. Just did it. She went out, got the funding worked with Parks and Rec, there's no great signage around the city. And uh, uh, not only did she do it, she did it without any fanfare. And I had to... There we go. One of the many hats I have eaten in my career. Well, we haven't pissed off the right it's or really the great. left, but we are now they. There's your pronouns lesson for the day. Uh, let's go to Tank Radio. Oh, they should... Now it makes sense. They should fix this. They should fix it. Uh, pronouns, right? Oh. Yeah. We are now they. Sit with that. And spend the two minutes thinking about how we solve the problem. Oh, we just say uh, all the non-binary people <laughs> should fix everything. <laughs> we were so close to getting out without getting in trouble. Elizabeth said this morning she was listening to Dak Shepard. She doesn't listen to this damn podcast, but she listens to Dak Shepard every week. He and she and, are smarter than we are. Um, she said, Dax has just said something you said, and he's taken a lot of flack for it. And I was glad he said it first go listen to Dax Shepard for my opinion on some of that uh, okay on to Envoy Tank Radio this is where we try to break the boundaries between civilian life and the military life because we get to live on the edges of both uh, Poland and Ukraine so look I have a background in diplomacy I think this is a great example of where the work of diplomats relates directly to the world of military. Um, so Poland has been the biggest supporter of Ukraine yeah. um, throughout this war. It has provided weapons. It has provided amazing support to refugees. Um, and it's been sort of unstoppable. Probably the biggest supporter of any country, certainly by, you know, in terms of effort of its people in supporting Ukraine. And they are in a big spat right now. And it's all to do with domestic politics. So Poland is um, 
has quite a right-wing government. They're coming into an election cycle. Uh, popularism is sort of writ large across the Western world in terms of, and because of the closing of the grain deal by the Russians to get grain from Ukraine to the rest of the world. So Ukraine is typically exporting to Africa and Asia predominantly. I mean, there's a global market for grain, but they are the trade routes and not to the European Union. Now there's all of this grain that hasn't been able to get out of port and therefore is being sold sort of by ground through rail and truck. And it is undermining Polish farmers, which is playing into an electoral cycle, which has led to a huge spat and Poland pausing or suspending its support for uh, Ukraine. Now, Poland is arming at an unbelievable rate. If you look at the data, they've signed all of these um, deals with South Korea, interestingly. Um, South Korea has a has a very sophisticated arms industry. And by the end of the contracts that Poland has put in place, we'll have more tanks than the United Kingdom, Germany, and France combined in this one country. They're taking wow. national security very, very seriously. So this spat with Ukraine isn't about um, fighting Russia, isn't about the military. It's about trade, and it's about farmers in a domestic election. And this is where the diplomats have to just be in there and working and working and working and working to find wait, wait, room. Wait, so let me make sure I yep. got this. So we've got to beat up on Ukraine to make sure the farmers domestically vote. know that we're supporting them so they vote. It's yeah. kind of why Biden's on the picket lines yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Trump was going, It's right? very it's similar. Political. Biden was on the picket lines yesterday. Yeah. Is that, hey, I need the, I need the farmer's vote. They are losing money because the price of wheat is falling because Ukrainian wheat is flooding the market, which would typically go out by sea out of mm -hmm. Odessa. I don't think it's a coincidence that Ukraine is putting all of this effort right now into targeting the Russian Black Sea fleet, and they're starting to get ships going out there to try to. So what is what was known as a land war has actually become a sea war, using um, uh, long-range storm shadow missiles to target um, Russian ships in ports in Crimea and the headquarters of, of the Black Sea Fleet. Um, is that to degrade the military capability? No, I don't think it is. I think it's to be able to open up the ports to dilute this fight with this, this dispute with Poland over grain. Um, so yeah, so just that integration of diplomacy into, with the military and what both sides really need to do is to try to de-escalate the statements that the two presidents of both countries are saying yeah. and open channels and keep talking and keep it Because if that dispute continues, it doesn't matter how much help Ukraine is getting from the United States. Like, Poland is critical, absolutely critical to this. And, um, yeah, very little attention being paid on it, but they need to work out that problem uh, pretty fast. Um, if only we knew an articulate mediator who could head over there. <laughs> so we might be putting you on a plane. No, I'll go and articulate things to people. Um, let's jump to where folks can catch us next, and then we'll get out of this episode. Can I just say, we have a shared Apple note for this, and you just wrote, let's skip this section. We've already ranted enough. <laughs> so, yeah, moving on. Yeah. Where will we be uh, where will we next? Uh, I'm heading to Chi-Town. I'm, uh, I'm going to be in Chicago for uh, a night. Uh, sometime next week. I should probably know when. I'll know next week. And uh, Scott, you're off the you're off the tarmac for quite a bit. I am not leaving. I'm not leaving the city until my children recognize me and can name me. Okay. And until that happens, I'm not getting on a plane again. Um, listen, before we head out, I want to say, um, given that this is not a podcast. <laughs> And we don't take any of the podcast rules seriously. I did trip over. I think we've had one review. Oh, God. One review. And it's a five star. I don't know who wrote it. It's written by B to the Lanka. I don't know, whatever. Um, 
So I just want to read out the first paragraph. It's not about something, but it's also not about nothing. You will learn things, and some of them might even be useful someday. <laughs> Nailed it. Jeez. I, I'm Scott Wayne. And I'm Ace Callwood. We'll see you next week. Maybe. Maybe.